The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. This is Dudley. Good to be back with you guys. You'll be getting this uh, in February. I'm actually doing it in January, so I'm still in the aftershocks of the new year. So forgive me. But I, I am looking forward to this year, I think. We'll get into that for a minute. But before we do... Uh, let me uh, remind you of some stuff that's really, really important. First of all, you ought to get this year started right by getting either this, the DVDs or the CDs of this excellent study on the book of Hebrews, From Shadows to Substance. Uh, help you understand the whole Bible. Also helps you understand the story of God. If you haven't done it, get it. Use it for yourself and use it for your family and, and your friends. Uh, two things coming up really important. Father-Daughter Weekend, February 21 through 23. This is a fabulous weekend for daughters 15 and up. Of course, dads can be whatever age they are. And you don't have to be a biological dad to do it, but uh, every daughter needs to be affirmed by a father. And many times we spend so much time talking about father and son relations that we don't really get into what's the, what is, what's the role of the father-daughter. And so, this retreat does this better than anything I've ever seen. And so I, I want you to be there if you're a father, daughter, if you fit into that realm. It, it will change your life. And we say that a lot of times, but this, this really will change your life. So register, register right now. If you know somebody, father, daughter, tell them about it and, and get them involved. Second thing, in March 5 through 7, our annual EPIC conference, the Kerygma EPIC conference. It is epic. It is big time. I was just talking to a man today who said, my wife and I came last year. This is a guy that's as old as I am. He said, it's the best thing I've ever heard. Changed my life. He said, it's not just the regular old stuff. This is, this is revelatory stuff, revolutionary stuff. And it is because it's the gospel explained in detail. We can in that conference just take that one one message of what is the story and how do you share the life that that story is about. So that that's what the theme is this year. We have Alan Wright, who's one of the best preachers in, in the country. He is a radio preacher, pastor of a church, multi-campus church. He is recognized as one of the best storytellers and writers in the country. You need to hear Alan Wright. Kenny Thacker, Many of you know Kenny. He's a musician slash pastor slash prophet slash preacher. And his uh, his messages are always insightful and transforming. This year, we've invited Tullian Chavijan to come. Tullian is recognized in our country as one of the great speakers, one of the great uh, orators of our day and communicators. But he's not just a skilled orator. He's a man who has, who's living out the message of grace. He's had a big fall in his life and restoration is happening in his life. And he understands something of the grace of God that uh, those who haven't been through that don't know. And it's good that we do know. And so I want you to come here totally. And of course, Dudley will be there. I'll be there. And that will be a fun time. And I'm anxious to share with you what God's been putting in my heart. Also, during that time, we'll have some of the best worship time you've ever had. And uh, the other thing I want to remind you of is that we have breakout sessions in the middle of this 
We have breakout sessions on raising your kids according to the gospel, marriage according to the gospel. This year we have a breakout session on race and grace. What does grace, what does the gospel of grace have to say about racism and uh, our attitude toward race? It's, uh, you, you'll love that. And then this year we're also having a breakout session on the role of the prophetic. Uh, that has been baffling to many. And yet uh, the couple that will be leading that uh, are very good at understanding the role of the prophetic in the New Testament era. So you, you'll love that. We'll also have a breakout session for leaders. So you can see it's been well thought out and it's something for everyone. Bring your kids. There'll be something there for your kids. It's a sojourn church in Carrollton, not quite as far out as it's been in prospering years past. So uh, you need to get registered. You need to get registered immediately. So call the office or go online and register for the Epic Conference, okay? I'll, I'll see you there. Get as many people as you can to come. All righty. Now, as I said, I'm doing this in January. And when we start the new year every year, we always talk about, you know, we hear a lot of people going, this is going to be a better year than last year. And, you know, sometimes we say, well, I'm glad the other one is over and so forth. And then there are those who are a little bit skeptical about, you know, starting over. It's like, you don't, you know, it's just another day. But God created time and he created seasons. And so there's, there's something significant about getting to start over. And so it, it's, a, it's legitimate for us to ask these kind of questions in the middle of the beginning of a new era, new decade, if you will, the way some, sometimes we count it. Here, here's my question to you. And here's my question to God. Is it safe to hope that 2020 will be better than 2019? Is it safe? You know, sometimes it's dangerous to hope because if you put your hopes out there, you become vulnerable. And if it doesn't come through, you're disappointed, disillusioned sometimes. And that's uh, that can be devastating. So, uh, is it just a bunch of hullabaloo when people go, oh, this is going to be a better year. I believe this is going to be a better year. You, uh, this is the year of breakthrough. This is the year when development's going to happen and, you know, your hopes and dreams are going to come true. This is, this is the year for you. Well, is, are some people just trying to encourage us with positive words or is, is there reason to hope that if you are following God, if God is directing your path, is he going to lead you into a better uh, experience, a better year than, than has been in the past. I want us to explore that because there were some who would say, if they're going to be consistent, no, things are going to get worse and worse. Sin has, has invaded us and wickedness is abounding and we've gone away from our moorings and we've gone away from our morals and and we're, we can just look for the worst. That's what's going to happen. And, and hope that out of the worst, out of the ashes, God will be able to redeem some good stuff. But truthfully, things are, are not going to be that well. You, you don't need to hope. So protect yourself. Don't hope. That way you won't be disappointed. Uh, I, hope that's not your, <laughs> I hope that's not your attitude. So let, let's talk about the whole thing of is it safe to hope? It's safe to, to believe that God does want you to have something better. Is he leading us toward a greater experience of his goodness or not? 
several scriptures I want us to look at. This is Romans 15. Paul writing the, uh, the gospel, the, the uh, application of the gospel. Here, here's, here's how you live if you have embraced the gospel. So this is Romans 15, and I'll start in verse 1. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Did you get that? I'm going to read that last verse again. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Whoa. So what Paul is saying is everything that God has ever inspired man to write that's recorded in the scriptures, that the scriptures are written to produce hope. Well, I, I, there's some people I wish would read that, don't, don't you? Uh, because uh, when they talk to me, they, they interpret the scriptures in a way that kind of destroys hope. So, so it, it's saying that everything God has ever done, everything God has ever inspired to be written down, if we get it, if we understand what it's saying, it produces hope, encouragement, life to us. Let, let's go back and look at some of those, those prior times. There was a time when God was leading the children of Israel into what we would call the promised land, the land of Canaan, that he spoke to Joshua. And here's what he said on that transition occasion. Uh, remember, this is uh, Joshua 1, by the way, verse 13. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. So God is, there's the God of hope. He's saying to Joshua, God is going to give you the land. Yeah, you're going to have to take it. In other words, you're going to have to, to apply this uh, your, your hand to the plow, if you will, but I will make it possible for you to get this done, for you to have this land that he had promised. So we find that God is a, a promiser and that he made a promise to Joshua. Now let's go all the way back to uh, the time when Israel had been in covenant with God and they had broken the covenant. And as a result of breaking the covenant, they had been devastated by Babylon and had been put in uh, captivity and had been made slaves of, of Babylon. Now to be a made a slave is more than just being locked up. It means that you're degraded. You're not considered worthy of anything. In fact, the story that the Babylonians told the Israelites was that, you know, you guys heard that God created you and that he had a good purpose in mind. That's really not true. They said the truth is uh, two of our gods got in a fight and there was bloodshed and the blood came down on the ground and the maggots and the uh, all the deterioration happened there, and actually, you are you're a result of that. You're just you're just all of that residue that came out of the of the battle between the gods. And so that makes you have a really good self uh, self image, doesn't it? That I, I I have no meaning in life. So so Israel was bombarded with this belief. They were treated as as chattel. They they're, they're living in in bondage. So, and legitimately so, because they had broken the covenant. 
But the prophets of God rose up, speaking the word of God and saying, this is not the end. Even though you're going through this tough time, this is not the end. God has something else in mind. And so here, here's uh, a, a part of that. This is some, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 43. Starts off like this. But now thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you're mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God. And he goes on. And I'm going to pick up a few verses later where he says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, For your sake I will send to Babylon and break down all the bars, and the shouting the Chaldeans shall be turned to lamentation. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King, thus saith the Lord. Do not remember the former things, or consider the things of old. For I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way of the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And he goes on. So at that time, God is, God's word is a hopeful word. So here's what we discover about God. We discover that God is always leading his people toward the better. The best is yet to come. It's been true all the way through scripture. We'll just go back a little bit. Think about uh, God with in the Garden of Eden. When, when the worst thing possible had happened, that is Adam and Eve had sinned, God makes this statement. He says to the woman, Satan will bruise your child, but you will crush his head. Your, your child will crush his head. So here's the, what's called the proto-gospel. It's the gospel before the gospel came. And that is, God made a promise that though Satan had won a victory, that Satan would not ultimately be the victor, but that the seed of woman would one day destroy the power of Satan. That's the promise. And that's what the whole of the rest of history has been about. And so God is a positive, hopeful, promising, progressive God, and everything he does has, has that at its heart. So we think about, <clears throat> we'll go back to uh, Abraham. So God goes to, he sees, to, he sees Abraham. Now what's Abraham's situation? Well, he and Sarah have grown old. They've not had any children, and that's considered a curse in those days. So they have a childless home. There's no little children running around giggling and for them to enjoy, no posterity. And so God makes a promise to Abraham and says, you're going to have a son. Well, that, that promise right there is wonderful because like, wow, to a barren couple just to have a baby, wouldn't have wonderful, uh, how wonderful it would be to have a child in the home, a little boy playing with his tricycle. But, but, but God has got more in mind than that. When God promises, his immediate fulfillment is just a foretaste of the ultimate fulfillment. Remember that. Go see, when God was promising Abraham he's going to have a son, he was not just promising that you're going to have a little boy get to play on the front porch. He was promising that through you, your son, I will reverse the curse that came on Adam. I will carry, it'll be another iteration of my promise that, that the head of Satan will be crushed by the seed of woman. So Abraham and Sarah have a baby when he's 100 and she's 90 and 
And so, uh, yeah, their home is filled with joy and all that, but there's more that's happening. There's something going to happen in the future. So, so we see that with Abraham. And then we see uh, Moses uh, a little further along in the story. Remember, the descendants of Abraham had gone down into Egypt to escape a famine. They wound up staying down there about 400 years. Finally, it's time for God to lead them out. And he raises up Moses. Interesting, though, interesting. Because Moses uh, had killed an Egyptian one day when he found an Egyptian mistreating one of his fellow Israelites. And somehow he got discovered. I don't know if he left his toe sticking up out of the grave or what, but something happened that Moses was discovered. He had to run away. So he goes to the land of Midian and he works for his father-in-law, which sometimes is not a good thing. And uh, he and he's a shepherd, and which is not a high level deal. It's not a high skill thing, not a high respectability. Just he's working for a shepherd. So as a shepherd. So God comes to him and uh, makes a promise. But the promise is not that you're going to get a better job. Uh, you know, I'm going to take you from being a shepherd and I'm going to make you uh, a leader of a few men. No, no, no. He did say, I'm going to take you from being a shepherd and I want you to go lead my people, Israel, out of out of bondage, which is a pretty nice assignment. I mean, it's going to take some major miracles to get this done. He does that, but but God has more in mind than just getting Israel out of Egypt. That's a great promise right there. But what he means is, I am going to do something in history to bring my people out of the bondage of sin and slavery and shame and guilt and condemnation and fear. I am going to do that as well. And this is going to be an iteration in that, in that I bring Israel out and bring them into the promised land, picturing a time when there will be another exodus that I will bring the people of Christ out and they will be established as the people on the earth who love, who are loved by me, enjoy me and display my glory. So what a promise. And so, uh, so God makes his promise to Moses and a lot of the Old Testament is about what does it look like when God picks Israel as his own and he brings them out of Egypt and establishes and all that. Then later on, we have Joshua. When Moses has, has finished his deal, we got Joshua. And so Joshua's promise and commission is to uh, take this wandering bunch of Jews who wandered in the, in the, in the land for the, and, and get them established in the land. But the promise is more than that. When he said to him, I'm going to give you the land and you're going to get to rest. He's actually talking about a, a rest that's going to come one day in the future. Because Joshua could not give them rest from the turmoil of their own shame and guilt and condemnation, and fear and sin and all that. He could only give them rest from the physical enemies in the land. But there came one later, another Joshua, who could deliver, could deliver us from all of our enemies and could give us real rest, rest in Christ so that all the work that needed to be done had been done. All the wars that needed to be fought had been fought so that we could rest by uh, implementing and applying what, what Christ had done. So he, he's pointing toward the ultimate fulfillment. So yes, God is a God of hope. Joshua, would, would I think he would have been glad just to Okay, good, good promise. You got us out of the land and you got us into the new land, got us all settled. We all know our parts now. We know where our boundaries are. We know what we're supposed to do. That's great. 
End of promise. No, there's more to the promise than that. So, and then we go to David. Uh, David, I mean, David's mind his own business, actually. He was out there taking care of the sheep and writing psalms and having a great time. And one day they call him in and said, you know, you've been anointed to be a king. Well, I don't know that he wanted to be, but he was anointed to be king. And then uh, all hell broke loose for, for him because for the next few years, next 12, 13 years, he's chased by Saul, who was the, the, the reigning king, and, and he, he gets gypped by the Philistines. And he, he has a rough time hiding in caves and running around like a, a renegade uh, until one day he does become king. And he becomes king over the people of God. And, and his kingdom is a fabulous kingdom, the best it ever was in Israel's history. It's a fabulous kingdom. But uh, that wasn't all God was promising. Yeah, he promised David he, his son was sitting on the throne. He did. Solomon was his son who sat on the throne. Ah, promise fulfilled. Yes, but not all. There's more to it. And so there came the, uh, there, there came the day when the kingdom was divided and whatever. It's like, ah, God's promises failed. He said... One of David's sons would always sit on the throne. Solomon's gone, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, all those guys. You know, they've messed up the whole thing. It's never going to work. But God had a fuller promise in mind. So Israel does go into bondage, uh, as I mentioned earlier. And then so God, through the prophet, says, look, there's coming a day. There's coming a day when God does a new work. He's going to do a new thing. It's like a new kind of thing. But, but he's going to have what he intended when he created man and put him on the earth. He's going to have a people who know they're loved by God the way Jesus the Son knows he's loved by the Father. And they're going to be so enamored with that love and that relationship that they are going to display the glory of that God throughout the whole earth. And the whole earth is going to be filled with the glory of God the way the waters cover the sea. And so these prophets are talking about a day now. They used the language that the people would understand. So they said, yeah, God's going to give you, he's going to give you Israel back and he's going to give you temple back and your walls back and your city back. Well, you know the story. It was partially fulfilled in that they got to leave a remnant left and under Cyrus, the king of Persia, they went back to Israel. They kind of rebuilt the city, kind of rebuilt the temple, kind of reestablished the community, but it, was, it wasn't anything like Isaiah and Jeremiah had promised. Why? Because God is a God of hope. He always keeps us looking forward to the fuller, greater, better fulfillment. And so then there came the day when this child was born of a virgin Mary. Yeah, he was doing a new thing, all right. And he lived in the land and he, he, he displayed the righteousness of what a human really lives like, uh, lives like when, he, when he's in a right relationship with God. So he, he, he demonstrated what a human lives, a human life is like when somebody is loved by God and knows they're loved by God and has nothing to prove and, and is exhibiting what humanity is supposed to be. So Jesus lived that way. Then he died on the cross. He was raised from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and still sits there and sent the Holy Spirit to live within his believers. So the prophets talked about that day. Now, before I get too much into the fulfillment of Jesus, think about John the Baptist. He was last of the prophets. So what did John do? John said, here was John's message. 
Okay, that stuff y'all been looking forward to, all those promises have been made in the Old, Old Testament, all through history, those promises, it's time. Here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. All those sacrifices you made, here's the final one right here. All those times you look forward to a deliverer, he's here. So he introduced Jesus and, and prepared a people, some, some of the believing Israelites, for Jesus to come and, and to start this new thing. You say, okay, that's really good, Dudley. I really appreciate you giving me a little biblical history there. And it encourages me a little bit that God is a God of promise and that he always wants us looking forward in the future, expecting better, better, uh, better things to happen, uh, expect more blessings, expect goodness to be more revealed. Okay, you've encouraged me. But you just said that Jesus is the end of it. So what about us? How do we live? We don't look forward to the cross. We don't look forward to Jesus walking out by the, by the Jordan River and John saying, this is the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. What are we supposed to look forward to? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Because see, our hope is that because of what Jesus has done, we can know him the way God intended for man to know God to begin with that we can know him the way the Son knows the Father, the way the Father knows the Son, the way the Spirit knows the Father and the Son. And that we can, in that knowledge of him, share his life on the earth, and we can reveal to the world what a loved person looks like. Do you realize that's what every man is looking for, every woman is looking for? They want to know what does it mean to be loved by God, to be valued by God, that God would give his own life for you, to be cherished by God, to, for God to delight to be with us, for God to enjoy giving us everything that he has, the way a father loves to give to his children. Every person is longing for that. They don't know they're longing for that. And so they go out for a bunch of other stuff. They go out for a bunch of idols and go out for a bunch of substitutes. But that's what every man's longing for. If you could get really down deep into someone's soul and, and hear what they're longing for, they would tell you, I would love to be known. I would love to be loved. I would love to be valued. I would love to be the sparkle in somebody's eye. I would love to be delighted in. I would love that. I would love that more than anything. That's because God created you for that, and that's exactly what he has in mind. So, God's promise to us is not just about going to heaven when we die. That, that's a hope. We do get to do that. But on the way to heaven, we get to share his life. And as we do that, as we share his life, we begin to, to affect, absolutely affect the environment we live in, the nation we live in, the world we live in. It, it affects us. Why? because light always displaces darkness. And the light of the light of, of who Christ is uh, dissipates and displaces the deception of darkness. I'll give you some illustrations as it, as it, relates, to, uh, as it relates to us personally. You see, our deception comes about because we misinterpret the events in our life, the experiences, and we come up with stories we tell ourselves about who we are and what we're about. 
So a person, for instance, has the horrible experience of being abandoned, neglected, even rejected and abused by a father. A father who didn't know who he was, didn't know who God was, uh, rejects a kid, tells him he's stupid, calls him ugly names, locks him in a closet, won't give him food for a period of time under the guise of I'm disciplining. So this kid is, uh, is horribly uh, abused. In the middle of that abuse, he comes up with stories. Why is this true? Who am I? Am I who my daddy says I am? Am I stupid? Am I good for nothing? Am I destined to be a criminal? So, so he comes up with, this must be true about me because that's how I've been treated. So he, so he believes that he, he himself is defective. What's, what's to happen to that kid? Something needs to happen to that kid that is as powerful in his positive experience as that negative experience was. He needs to encounter a living Christ who was there when all of that happened and can reinterpret the story to him. Did you know that Jesus was there? Well, of course he was. He was, he was there and he, he can tell you what he was doing and what you were doing and what the real story is to be about. You see, we have a hard time with that, don't we? It's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Dudley. That, that sounds far-fetched to me. Well, it's because we have been trained to think that truth is complete when it's been put into a propositional form or into a documented form. Like the Bible is true. We know that. Because it's written down. You can read it and you can think it through and whatever. The, the Constitution, that's true. You know, and, and so we've got these documented truth, things that then on the left side of our brain, we have concluded, okay, since this is true, then this is true, and this is true, that must be true. So, so we've rationalized and conceptualized truth. But can I tell you that truth is bigger than that? Jesus said, I am truth. Jesus is not a proposition. He's not a document. He's a person. He's, a, he's an eternal person. In other words, he's always been. And he is a loving person. He gave his life for us. He demonstrated that. And he, he's a caring person. He cares. He comes to us when we can't come to him. And, and so when, when you've been through whatever experience you went through that was traumatic in your life, you know what? Jesus was there too. And he cares. And he knows. And he wants to reinterpret it for you and show you that he has been there all along, that he has a purpose in your life. You, in case you doubt this dynamic I'm talking to you about, th think about the, uh, the disciples on the Emmaus Road. Now, here were people who had, who had ventured out and hoped in Jesus. Uh, they, had put, they had put their life on hold and said, we're going to follow Jesus. He's our Lord. He's the restorer of Israel. He's the deliverer. We put all our hopes in him. And they'd gone out on a limb, quit their jobs, whatever. And, and then it looks like the, their hopes are dashed because Jesus, Jesus looks like he's a victim of the Jewish leaders that are deceived totally by demons and the, and the Roman civil authorities that are controlled by demonic powers. So it looks like the devil has won. So here are these guys walking down the road to Emmaus, totally disillusioned, dejected. I want you to try to put yourself there. Think about it. Don't, don't just read that as, okay, there's a good little story. Those are a little sad. No, no these guys 
these guys were dejected. They were suicidal. It was like life does. We, we've been we've been we've been played. We've been played by God. We we're stupid for believing any of this stuff. And so they're walking along, and guess what happens? Jesus comes and walks along with them, but they don't recognize him. My question. Is it possible that Jesus is with you and you not recognize his presence? Is it possible he was with you during some of those things when you think only the devil was there? Is it possible that he has been with you all the way or he has been there? If so, why don't we let him interpret the events in our life so that I don't interpret my life in terms of my, my experience and my self-identity, but I'll let God de determine who I am. What if I came to him and said, okay, I'll let you determine who I am. You tell me who I am. Well, he might say something like, well, I chose you before the foundation of the earth because I delight in you. You're my son. I made you my son. You're no longer an orphan. You are, uh, you're the inheritor of everything that I have. Uh, you are my temple, you're the way I displayed myself in the world. You, uh, you are loved. You're loved the way I, I love myself. You're, you're, you're loved the way the Father loves the Son. You're accepted. You're accepted in the beloved. You're, you're forgiven. Uh, you're redeemed. And, and you're empowered with my name to go forth and to dispel darkness wherever you run into it. Well, what if God said something like that to you? Would you believe it? You probably wouldn't believe it if it's only a, a, a proposition, if it's only an idea, if it's only a concept. It's like, oh yeah, I read that in the Bible. It's Ephesians 1. You basically just tell us what Ephesians 1 says. What if, what if the real living Christ said that to you? What if you have an experience where your eyes are open and the living Christ says to you those things? That, that would change your life. See, the, the word of God is living and sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing the soul and the spirit in between the joints and the marrow. The, the word of God is more than just Bible verses. It's more than just concepts and propositions, based, uh, theological pro proposition based on scriptural understanding. It is the living Christ who comes to you and says, this is who I am and this is who you are. And when, and when that word goes forth, when that truth dawns, then darkness dissipates. Your concept of who you are changes. Your concept of what you're about changes. So if that happens on an individual basis, could that happen on a corporate basis? Could that happen in a body of Christ? Could it happen in a community of people? Could it happen in a, uh, in a country? Could it happen in the world? Well, of course it could. So here's our hope. The God who revealed himself in Jesus Christ in a historical event at Calvary, at Resurrection, and Ascension. That God is revealing Christ to us in a daily basis so that we are increasingly knowing that we are loved by him. And being loved by him, we are free to love others. We are free to help others know him. Because you see, when, when you're loved like that, it's the greatest delight that's possible for the human soul. When you're delighted in your soul, you can't help but want others to know. I mean, think about it. When, when, when something wonderful happens to you, don't you want to run and go tell somebody? 
Of course. I remember the first time we went to the to the Grand Canyon. Uh, I and, the, and Betsy and the kids went out. For some reason, I got out to the edge before they did. I had no longer cast my eyes on how big that, that canyon was. Then I found myself running back to get them to say, hurry up, get up here. You can't believe this. Something in us, isn't there? That if I see something delightful, I want to tell somebody else about it. I mean, how many times have you watched the sunset and go, ah, I wish my wife were here. I wish my husband were here. What, what, what is there about that? that? That's the nature of God. And, and so, so God's so delighted in himself that he said, I got to tell somebody about it. So he created some people he could tell. So God creates you and you're loved like that. He loves you the way he loves the son. You can't stand it. You got to tell somebody. You've got to show that to somebody else. And that's what life is about. So God has left us here on the earth where there's still darkness and there's still deception, where, where the enemy is ruling through deception and he's left us here as emissaries of truth, as reflectors of glory. When Jesus prayed in John 17, he prayed for us. He prayed for the disciples. He said, I pray that you will reveal to them that they will know more than just understand, but know that I am in you and you're in me and they are in us and we're all one. And I'm, I'm praying that they will understand that oneness, that sharing of the life of the Trinity, that fellowship of knowing. I, I, I'm praying that they will know that. And as they know that, the world will be impacted because they will know that they're loved of the Father. That's, that's our hope. So, so is there hope for a, a country? Is there hope for a world? Is there hope for a state? Is there hope for a church? Yeah, there's hope because this Jesus that once revealed dissipates all darkness is eager to reveal himself to us. He wants to come to us and reveal himself, whether it's in our past or it's in our present or it's in his promise of, of the future. And by the way, what, what's the ultimate promise? I'll be with you. Go to all the world. I'll be with you. There's no greater promise than that because if he's with you, nothing can defeat you. Nothing can destroy you because you are sharing in his life. This is what God has for us. That is our hope. And so 2020, is it real? Is it right to hope for something better? Yes. What's the better? Will you get a new car? I don't know. Will you get a new house? Don't know. What's God wanting to do? Whatever promise he's fulfilling for you, he is wanting to show you that the ultimate promise is that you get to know him because he knows you. He loves you. He delights in you. And that you get to be a part of reflecting his glory in the world, which is the greatest mission as possible. So much bigger then do I get a car or do I get my bills paid or do I have a, you know, is my body totally healthy? All of those things are important, but nothing compared to knowing him and being known by him. Do you get it? Well, I don't know. I don't know that I get it, but I know this. There's something inside that says, I'm looking forward to the possibilities and the probabilities and more than that, the promise 
that God will reveal himself. God will answer Jesus' prayer when he said, show them my glory. Show them what it was like for me to be with you before the world began. Let them know that. Let them let their glory be restored. Let them be real humans without, without the, the sin and the guilt and the shame and the fear and all that stuff. Let them be real humans who know what it means to be loved of God. That was his prayer for us. That's his prayer for you. God will answer that prayer. So Father, I thank you for the privilege of living this new year with not just the prospect, but with the promise that you will reveal yourself and you will not leave us. Lord, if you're gonna be present, open our eyes and let us see your presence. Don't let us be like the guys on the Emmaus Road who walked with you that whole seven miles and didn't even know they were walking with you. Lord, let us be aware that we're walking with you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've enjoyed our study together. Till next month when we get together, This is Dudley Hall with Kerygma Ventures. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.